Welcome to the Female Founder World Podcast. I'm Jasmine. I'm the host of the show and the creator of the Female Founder World Universe. Welcome back. Today, I'm actually chatting in person with Rachel Liverman, the founder of Globar. If you're based in New York, you will know their clinical facials. You'll be very familiar with their locations because they have just grown so quickly. They now have 10 spots all over the city and Rachel's raised $10 million to really scale that and double next year. Before we get into the interview, a reminder and invitation that we are hosting Launch Lab, our digital marketing workshop series virtually right now. We're about to go into week four where we have Jera Fosterfell, or you would know her as Jera Bean. She has one and a half million followers on TikTok and she is an absolute social media expert. She'll be teaching how founders should be showing up themselves on video platforms to build their brand alongside their personal brand right now, which I think is something that we're always talking about on the show. We are always talking about it in the female founder world community. So please take this opportunity to have a free session with Jera. She's absolutely incredible. I've put the link in the show notes and also want to thank our partners TikTok for making this workshop happen. Okay, let's get into the show. You are now entering female founder world with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Rachel? Welcome to Female Hi. Founder World. It is so good. I feel like we've been talking about getting you on the show for like months, maybe years. Yes. <laughs> Finally made it happen. I have been dying to be sitting with you. I can't wait to talk. I'm so proud of everything you've done. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. For people that don't know Globar, what have you built? So Globar is a skincare concept. We're in New York and Connecticut today. We have 10 locations and we do 30-minute facials. So we were actually first to market 30-minute facial. Uh, and it's highly effective, highly accessible. It's $75 for a treatment, or you can join our membership, which is $55 a month. And we do everything from chemical peels to dermaplaning to hydrating masks, LED. Uh, we just give you a really, really great 30-minute facial. Honestly, it's so smart. Like my background is is as a fashion and beauty editor, and I always find that you can have the most amazing skincare products, and yes, they make a difference, but like at the end of the day, you need to go in for those like proper esthetician appointments if you wanna see an actual difference. And they're super expensive. You have to go into a dermatologist. So I feel like you guys have just found this like perfect sweet spot. I think so too. We always say for professional skin, you need to see a professional. Like for example, like when you need your teeth cleaned, do mm. you do it yourself at home? Mm. No, you go see your dentist. Mm. And so same thing for really great skincare. Come see a professional esthetician. And ours, I am biased, but I think they're the best. I am always interested in people who like start a business based on years and years of experience in the industry. And you are like an OG beauty girly. You've been a beauty blender. You're at Birchbox. You come from, you're like third generation esthetician in your family. Like this is absolutely in your blood. I feel like you could have done anything in the beauty industry. What was the opportunity that you saw to go and do something in this space? So thank you. And you have my resume memorized, which is really nice. <laughs> I even forget sometimes, but yeah, I've been in the beauty industry my whole life. I'm obsessed with it. I think it's the funnest industry to be in. It's I agree. Beauty is so fun. And it's also the ultimate connector. Mm-hmm. 
you and I, even if we had nothing to talk about today, I could say, what blush are you wearing? Totally. First thing I asked you was like, what's on your lip? Yeah. Mm. It's just, and it makes women in particular, and I think sometimes it's hard to connect sometimes, like, or our insecurities get in the way, but it allows us like just something to talk about that connects us immediately. But going back to your original question, um, what we were solving for and like why we created this was that facials were really expensive. They were really time consuming and the average consumer didn't get facials as consistently as we should. And so I wanted to create something that was perfectly solving for that. And so um, I felt like as a consumer, I wasn't getting facials. I was like a cobbler's son with no shoes. And I wanted a 30 minute facial for, you know, an average price point. And so that's what we created. I feel like you guys are, are, um, it's like going to a physio instead of getting a massage. Do you know what I mean? It's like going to see the professional, getting the actual like proper deep work rather than uh, a relaxing maybe um, spa experience. It's like, no, let's go in and get results and walk out with genuinely better skin. Exactly. It's We took the facial out of the dermatologist mm. and the physio took the chiropractor or like, you know, the real intensive like PT out of the massage. You guys have done a lot since you launched. It's been what, four years? Yeah. And a lot of that was COVID. Yes. And your physical location. Yeah. <laughs> And now you have 10 spas. Amazing. When you first got started, I want to understand like what are the first things that you do to get a physical location off the ground? A lot of prayer. Yeah. (laughs) Like any business. So physical locations, yes, they're challenging. They're like a real life thing. You can't just start it in your backyard Mm. or in your office. But like anything, it just takes a lot of steps and everything kind of has to fall into place. The first thing you do is hire the best broker that you can find that you can afford. Um, or that that is excited to work with you in your market that you're looking to go into and start to manifest your perfect location. And like any business, it just takes a lot of pre-work to understand where you want to be, who your customer is, where do they live, and also just identifying like your target market and making sure that you're opening as close to them as possible. Um, but the, the challenge actually isn't in finding a location, it's getting people to come into your yeah. location. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a second. I am curious about how you get people like physically into a space. We obviously do a lot of in-person events and I do think that it is a it is a totally different ball game. Like I can get people to click on stuff and buy it online when they're like, you know, just scrolling that, oh, this is cute, 20 bucks, I'm going to get it. But it's a whole different level of connection to get people to physically like come and do something. How do you do that? Especially when you're new and nobody knows who you are. Your product has to be superb it's all about the product in anything Mm. but especially with getting someone to book an appointment at home get their butts off the couch yeah take the time to come in and spend their hard-earned money um and so how we did it was every single appointment has to be the best 30-minute facial you can find because that one client is actually our marketing engine Mm. and that's how you get someone to go to brunch and have their friends say, your skin looks amazing. Mm. What are you doing different? And then they say Globart and six women around the table book an appointment. Um, and so that's what our focus has been. 
on our training, on our estheticians, and on making sure that our team feels motivated and enthusiastic to give the best treatment every single time. Um, and people continue to come. Also social media. I was going to say, because that feels like a lot of growth for um, leaning on word of mouth. I know that you haven't like really paid for marketing, but what else works? You said social media. Are you guys just like hitting it hard with the content? Are you doing any local advertising, being an in-person business? Like what else? So local community is our bread and butter. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of grassroots stuff. So events with local businesses. Um, we do flyering. So we started flyering at the beginning. So you know, like those flyers that are on telephone poles yeah, for like yeah. a math tutor. I've been wanting to do this. I feel like it even is just like such a cute content opportunity just to like do a few. We actually started doing this. We won an award for it. And from this like marketing company, I can't remember what it was, but, um, and it really just got the community to stop, pause and know that we were there. Uh, so we we still do that today. In every single studio we've opened, we have flyered. We do chalking. We do wheat pasting mm -hmm. just to get – you got to start the buzz. It's like a fire. You got to, like, start the flames mm -hmm. and really start getting people talking, and then it will continue to grow on its own. But, yes, most of it has been organic, and we don't take that for granted. I am also interested in the membership piece. So you talked about, you know, you're obviously like start, you're trying to ignite something and then the ball starts rolling and you're gaining, gaining momentum as you go. But you also have this membership, which I feel like is like at the next layer up of commitment. Like once people are members and they're like in your community, that's the ultimate like marketing achievement yeah. yes. I feel like like where else do you go from that you, you don't they're the most loyal totally I want to know how you think about that like what what drove that idea to like build that into your business model and like how much of the business does that actually account for now so actually the membership model was turned on two days before we opened our doors no Becca we didn't plan it wasn't like a big part of our plan we didn't raise mm. money on the membership model we didn't feel confident in the business because of the membership model um it just, we were like, should we? Let's see if anyone joins. So yeah. we literally turned it on. And the next thing we knew, we had over a thousand members in like six months oh, wow. at that one location, which was remarkable. Are they people that come in once and then they are like, I want this every month? Yeah. yeah. Almost every person joined on their first appointment after they had yeah, their wow. first appointment. They are our most loyal. They are our most committed. And the way we got them to commit was, again, going back to the product an amazing 30-minute facial. Mm -hmm. It had to be effective and efficient. And also really compelling to join the membership. So a membership has to have perks for someone to give you their commitment, right? So we made it so that it was almost like, why wouldn't I join the membership? Yeah. So it's $55. It's a four-month commitment. You get a discount on retail products. We sell the best professional products we can find on the market. Uh, you also get perks along the way. So we have membership perks, little things that our partners love to provide them. Um, and also a free guest pass to bring someone they care about. So that was also really compelling. Mm. You know, if your mom's in town or a family member and you want to take them to also get them hooked as well that's the hope this sounds like a really expensive business when i think about all the different things you could be doing in the beauty space bricks and mortar a physical space sounds like something that would be really cash intensive and i know that you've raised 10 million dollars now how are you first of all like what is the um what are the efficiencies here like how are you making this work in a scalable way because i think a lot of people who are trying to do like a bricks and mortar space or they have a um they have a spa or they have a restaurant they're kind of like i don't understand how you can like replicate and scale this what are you guys doing that's working brick and mortar is really expensive but again every business is really expensive. totally yes and in fact 
this whole country was built off of brick and mortar businesses. Mm. America, the classic business model was a retail store. Mm. And so if you do it right and you keep your expenses low, uh, you can create a really profitable, really sustainable, and really scalable business model. And so uh, we ensured that our build-outs in our spaces were as cost-efficient as possible. So when you come into a glow bar, it's not you know 4,000 square feet. It's their small format, and they're cozy, and yeah. we love them, and we make them as beautiful as we can within budget. And we spend money in the places that matter to you, the consumer. So like our wash bar. It's the most expensive sink I've ever laid my eyes on, but we keep <laughs> buying it for every yeah. single studio. Uh, but the cabinetry is, call it Ikea with a nicer finish over Right. It. And so with brick and mortar, you've got to keep expenses low. But CPG these days is also focused on efficiency totally. and getting to profitability. Mm -hmm. And so this doesn't just, this advice isn't just for brick and mortar. It's for starting a business in general. Keep your costs low. Don't buy that fancy office right out yeah. the gate. Keep things scrappy. Really be efficient with your capital, and uh, that's how your business is going to be alive in four, five, 10, 20 years. You're somebody who took a bit of a different approach to fundraising. Talk me through that. I was given a formula from some venture capital people. What is the formula? For people who don't know, they're listening to this and like, okay, but wait. The formula? <laughs> Start at ba the basics. Like, what's the formula that people usually follow? The formula is through a bunch of steps, find call it three to max 10 venture funds or investors that you know to target mm -hmm. and just stick to those and customize that email to them make your pitch deck really exciting to them make sure that they've invested in a category like yours yep and just target the heck out of them Try okay that sounds logical okay fine I, Rachel Liverman, never take the easy path or the formulaic path. And so I decided to just email and outreach to everyone I knew. If we knew each other at the time, you would have gotten an email from me asking if you would want to invest in Globar. <laughs> I took everything from $2,000 to $200,000 and everything in between. And a lot of people say you only want a few people on your cap table. Google cap table, whatever. It's mm -hmm. such a such a term that we use it literally means like your the investors yeah, you're yeah a list of your investors <laughs> it's a list of your investors but you know you only want like five people on your cap table call it i had 30 and i still have 35 plus you know so yeah i took a very different approach and that worked for me um that felt really organic to me i love talking about the business but in turn it made it actually it did make it harder a little bit yeah. because i ended up with a hundred no's yeah wow. i have a list of a hundred human beings and groups that looked at the business had multiple conversations with me and still said no but each of those conversations i learned a ton and they got me thinking about the business in a different way so for me it was the right path it's not what i was told to do though that is such a good piece to pull out there because like I feel like people get a couple of no's and they kind of think, oh, my idea sucks or this is like not the right path or this is like, you know, not the thing I should be pursuing. You got a hundred, like what is it inside of you that gets a hundred no's and is like, no, 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 but this is still amazing. Like I still trust myself. So first things first, I always say that you don't have to be the smartest, the prettiest, the most well-connected, mm. or like our, we were talking about before, be in a major city mm. to start a company. What you have to have is resilience and you have to have radical self-awareness. That's all you gotta have. If you Talk have those me through things, that, the radical self-awareness, what do you mean? You have to be asking yourself how you can do better yeah. every single day and what you're not doing great on. Yeah, and also like not take it personally. When people give you the feedback, it's like amazing, this will make me better. My feedback yeah. from my team a couple of weeks ago made me cry in a meeting with my 
ahead of people. From your team? Yep. Yeah. And I felt terrible. It made mm. me feel embarrassed and the shame mm. and I wasn't perfect. I'm not right to do this. All mm. the things we all say to ourselves, right? Um, and I swear last week I was a better leader than I've ever been. And so, yes. And and going back, you know, to your question of a hundred no's, how do you not get down on yourself about, oh, this is a bad business? That's that's where if you know it's right for you and it's right in your gut, yeah. you'll keep going. Oh my God, that's so true. And so it's like, I know that a hundred people don't think this is a great idea, but I've got a few that do. And I know that this is right for me. And for me, that was because I had a family history in skincare. Mm -hmm. I had a decade of beauty experience. I, as a consumer, needed this product. I didn't just want it. I needed a 30-minute facial mm -hmm. for an affordable price because my skin was not getting any younger. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but 30-year-old acne is a really interesting world. No, it's world. like this really cruel thing that happens <laughs> yeah. where it's like you have – you start getting wrinkles and you're still getting acne and it's kind of like this is not what was sold to me on the box. Right. And these like uh, cystic things no, on your don't. chin when yeah. your period is coming yeah. at 30, 35 is a whole yeah. new world. I want to know what you were kind of like backtracking a bit. I want to know what you were spending that money on in the beginning. Like you're, um, you pulled together how much to start the company or is that like a million? A million. Okay. What do you do with that million? You build a store as cost efficiently as yeah. you can. Yeah. Uh, you spend it on what matters to the consumer. So we wanted to make sure that the store looked as nice as it could, uh, that we had the right team in place mm -hmm. and that we had the right products. Mm -hmm. So we found the best professional skincare brands we could find to partner and invested in them and the training that came with it um, and, and really kind of like hoarded our money. Um, you want to spend the least amount as possible because you need – as much runway as possible. Runway meaning money in the bank to yeah. last you. <laughs> yeah. I know all these terms. I'm so just like, silly. So you have a silly. glossary though. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do have I think a glossary. So brilliant. I mean, so I much of it. it, totally. So much of it is just like very simple language that, I don't know, some tech bro somewhere yeah. decided that we needed special words for it. Runway equals amount of money in the bank and how long it'll last. Yep. Mm -hmm. Very simple. Okay. So then you went on to raise the 10 million. What have you been using that for? What's the what's the dream here with that? How are you going to use that money? So going into raising our Series A, so 10 yeah. million from Peterson Partners, mm -hmm. uh, we had a very small team on corporate supporting the studios. And so I was like, I need some help on this side. We had yeah. over three of us. Running. There were three of you in the corporate team? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and it was a ton of fun. Don't get me wrong. But uh, <laughs> it was time we brought in people that had done this before yeah. and had experience and had enthusiasm for what we were building to reinvigorate us. You mm -hmm. know, we've been doing it for three, four years now. And so we brought on people. So a corporate team, we have 10 of us now that have a ton of fun building this business and supporting the studios and growth. So more studios. So we have 10 today. We'll, we'll like double in size next year. Wow. But I'm still very, very, very frugal with how we spend. We have a shared office space. Yeah. My team begrudgingly, I think, wants us to move out of it. But um, we have a shared office space. We think about everything we spend money on. We want to make sure that it's right for the consumer, that the consumer will appreciate it, that our customers and our members will feel special, seen, heard by that spend. Keeping those disciplines, I think, is going to be important in the next you know, coming few years. So you have 10 people in the corporate team, but I also know that you have a ton of estheticians. Like how many would be? We have 150, 150. estheticians Holy who are shit. the reason we exist and they're incredible. Okay. So you might only have 10 people in the office, but like that is a really 
really big team that you're still ultimately responsible for like hiring, firing, managing. What advice do you have for people who are about to make their first couple of hires or who are trying to figure out how to expand a team? Like what have you learned because you have done this really quickly? We are a people business. So people are at like the heart of what we do. And so I knew that I needed to hire the right people. Mm -hmm. We are not robots. We are not all like the smartest. We don't have, you know, MBAs, Mm -hmm. most of us. And I just wanted to find people that fit our values, which are enthusiastic, driven, self-aware, outgoing, hardworking. So I just really looked hard for those people. Um, and also like in, a, in the interviews, just asking like, why Globar? Like, I want to know you want to be here because days are long. Yeah. I need to know you're really, really jazzed about what we're building or at least the opportunity you have here to grow yourself. Um, so that's important. What was your first experience firing someone? Oh, they're horrible and they will never get easy. Um, you know, I've been lucky that I've only had to fire people that knew it was coming. There were mm. no like surprises, yeah. but it still is painful every single time. I think it's hard for both parties yeah. and you have to be really direct and yeah. almost like cutthroat a little yeah. bit. And that's just not my personality because yeah. I'm like, are you okay? Are we okay? Do you still like me? <laughs> Which is just something I'll always work You also on. have to be comfortable with them like not liking you and that's yeah. kind of fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also just like people don't, they think that founders are on this like pedestal. They're glamorous. They mm. have everything figured out. Mm. And I yeah. feel like it's my duty to share that like you don't yeah. have to have it all figured out and you don't have to be the smartest, the brightest, the prettiest, the most yeah. well-connected. You just have to be like a good person and hardworking. Like I still keep my head down. I go in the office Monday to Friday. Like my life isn't glamorous. Yeah. Like, and I don't even want it to be because like my favorite part of this is like going into the office totally. and working with my team and not being like dolled up, mm-hmm. you know, and out like doing these like events. Like I don't go to events. Mm-hmm. I go home like everyone else and sit on the couch <laughs> and eat dinner yeah. every night. So yeah. I don't know. I just like, I feel very, pa- I feel very passionate about giving people the like empowering people to like just try it to do it and you don't have to have it like all figured out just yet what do you do on the really hard days I read something interesting last night about a founder and I'm sorry I'm forgetting his name but he asked himself in the morning how he's feeling and he says if I'm a one to two Mm -hmm. so like on a one to ten scale one to two he stays in his office and he doesn't really like surround himself with the team um, because he feels like his energy is going to be a value suck yeah, and it's just not going to get anyone himself or his team anywhere. And, you know, as you go up the scale, he engages more. So on the days that are hard for me, I also try to stay a little bit internalized because I know it will pass, right? Like yeah. yesterday could have been the worst day ever. And today I'm like, you know, I got yeah. sunshine coming out of my Yeah, head. yeah. So I kind of try to stay low key, get some things done, stay a little, not withdrawn necessarily, but like in my office and get it done. So I don't, so no one feeds off of that energy. Mm. Um, but I also have techniques of like, you know, as you get older, you find the techniques and to help you cope. So positive affirmations, reminding myself of just that today is, is, going to be just today and tomorrow's a brand new day everything changes that's like the only constant we know yeah. is that the world changes and the yeah. moods change so I don't know I try to just pump myself up that's really good advice I definitely feel like I it's not even like the day changes it's just like halfway through the day can be a totally different day you know yes yeah one thing can set you <laughs> off 
Um, and I started just kind of doing some deep breathing because mm. I get frustrated just as much as anyone does and triggered and mm-hmm. scared. Like fear mm-hmm. comes up the most for me. Like I'm like, oh my God, are we not going to be able to like mm-hmm. make this work? And then I get like reactive. And yeah. so I have to stop myself in that fear moment. Yes. I definitely get this where I have those moments of just like, oh, and then your your immediate reaction in those moments is often to like, externalize it and maybe that is like getting on slack or like forwarding emails or like whatever and actually that is just the worst thing you can do the best thing you can do is just go really insular and (laughs) work on something that you do not need to collaborate like be involved with the team at all yeah that's exactly what I'm working Mm. on right now because I then micromanage I become more controlling yeah this is hard the micromanaging thing and I'm always like, I'm not a micromanager. Go, go, right. go. But the second I feel like something isn't going the right way, yes. then I micromanage. Yes, yes, yes. And it creates like fear in the yes. team. And so it's really not productive. And it certainly doesn't empower everyone. Yes. So that's what I, that's my work right now is to, while we still figure out challenges and things that aren't going perfectly, how do I remain in an inspirational, empowering state so that the team can continue to feel that way as well and not be like oh my god she's mad she's upset we Mm. want to please her oh my god I feel so bad which is kind of what has happened before so it's so interesting it's something that I see across all different founders that I speak to who are building something really interesting it's this um ability to up level at the same rate personally that you want the business to be up leveling like there's something there where the business can't really outgrow you if you're still the one steering the ship and I'm really interested in like the things that people are doing to be meeting that like personal growth level so that the business can meet that growth I mean that's the work that a leader has to continue to evolve yeah and bring their business with them yeah and the only way to bring the business with them is to empower people and inspire them and keep them motivated and engaged and the big challenge then is on those tough days, mm. on those days when your resiliency is being tested, how do you how do you maintain that? Yeah. And it's a lot of pressure. And it's also not really humane, right? You're asking a leader to not have days where they're not feeling inspirational and yeah. motivating. But it's like, I think that's where transparency comes in, vulnerability comes in, and mm-hmm. you say to the team, hey, I'm having a really tough day. I'm finding it really hard to be motivating and like empowering. Do not take this personally. It's just Rachel is having a day. And some leaders are afraid to say that. I encourage them to say that. Friday, I was like feeling under the weather at the office. Mm-hmm. I was on a chair with my feet up being like, team, I'm sorry. I don't feel good. I have a cold. I'm going to stay the whole day, but I just don't feel well. So like, sorry if I have no energy to give to this meeting. And it allowed everyone to... and like be themselves right not take it personally and also just be like oh if I'm feeling crappy like maybe I'll stay too totally she'll understand yeah um and that's just a small example that came to mind but those things happen all the time even Mm. in meetings I can like sometimes I'll just be like guys I don't have the energy and so I I don't have much to offer here Mm. I don't know why my brain is not in this like engaged state yeah and so it allows everyone to open up and you know vulnerability breeds vulnerability and that's really been working for us I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about launching your new spaces and now that you've done 10 and you obviously have so many more on the roadmap which is just wild I want to know like what's the formula what have you found that works so you have found a new location you're building out the space what is happening on email what is happening on social what are you doing in the space to build buzz to get the word out and to get people into your store 
we have a formula. We call it our marketing playbook. We say in the industry NSO mm-hmm. studio opening. There we go. So there's another. Of one course, for there's a, of course there is a we'll word for it. Glossary. In yeah. The, um, podcast notes. <laughs> but so our NSO marketing playbook. Laura on my team. She was my first intern. She mm-hmm. runs marketing now. She's a total rock star. You've met her. Um, Amazing. She starts. She just turns that engine on. So we start with emails. Hey, we're opening in Hoboken. Yeah. You gotta know. Tell your friends. Sign up for emails. How long before does that go out? Um, Laura likes to have them kick off around like eight weeks, nine weeks. So there's this happy balance. Not too soon that they get excited and then forget about you. And not too late that they're like, oh, why didn't they tell me? And also not too late so that we can start saying, oh, we're not getting the response we usually do. Mm -hmm. We need to up it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's a fine line. Eight weeks is approximately for a local studio. We turn on the marketing engine. So emails start to go out. We launch it on Instagram. Hey, we're opening in, we'll use Hoboken, for example. They're opening in a couple months. Um. Hoboken's opening, get excited, tell your friends, tag your friends. And then we, you know, keep a steady drumbeat of emails, of Instagram posts. Then we kick on about four weeks out, um, like Instagram, you know, Facebook, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it, marketing, where we get some ads hitting those local people. And then about three to four weeks out, we start flyering. So we just hit the pavement. Whoever on the team is free for a couple hours, take some flyers, tape them up to telephone poles, go talk to local businesses. Our manager will kick in a few weeks out Mm. and just say to like, you know, the Pilates studios or the Soul Cycles of the world or the you know, sweet greens, dry bars, et cetera. Hey, we're coming. Like, let's do something together or let's at least get your managers in. Then, and then those studios just become part of our marketing machine. Are you on TikTok? We are on TikTok and Laura's crushing it on TikTok. She's doing such an amazing job. So we get a lot of clients there, a lot of UGC there. Um, I'm not the one to add. You'll have to interview Laura yeah. sometime because I, I'm so out of That's touch. not your platform. I get no. it. I get it. I want it to be so I bad. know. Me too. I'm, I'm failing miserably. I, I mean, I think we overthink it. This is like a millennial thing. I think we're overthinking the like But when I TikTok. don't overthink it. Like I filmed my husband like playing a prank on him and I didn't overthink it and posted it and it got like, like I think my family saw it. <laughs> I need to just figure out how to do it. Yeah, I won't. Uh, oh, well, okay. whatever. You can outsource. You don't have to have everything in your skill set. You can outsource yeah. stuff. The last question I want to ask you, Rachel, is for a resource recommendation. And that is, it can be a book. It can be another podcast. It can be a habit that you have. Something or a couple of things that have been helping as you've been building the business. So the five-minute journal, I've been talking about this for years now. I got into a mindset of gratitude before I started Globar. Mm -hmm. And I swear it is why all the good things in my life have happened. Call it manifestation. Call it just being living a life of gratitude, whatever you want to call it. It has skyrocketed my life. And so I fill that out most mornings. I just think it's a great way to start your day Mm -hmm. and just do a little introspection and also positive affirmations. So it's a lot of mental work here, reminding myself that there's no one better to do this than me. I am just as worthy, I am just as capable, and also giving myself grace when I need to and saying, it's okay if you're having a a not so great day, give yourself a break. Amazing, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, this was so fun. Quick shout out to all of our business Bestie subscribers. If you are loving this show and you are building a consumer, CPG or e-commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences, and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.